0: Well, we are the Heinzes, uh, and my wife Marlene is right there in the, in the purple blouse, uh, and she's been my bride for 43 years, yeah. and uh, I don't think we're going anywhere. Uh, we, you know, we, <laughs> I don't know who the preacher was, it says, divorce has never been an option, but murder has been thought of. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am truly teasing, I am truly teasing. She's been a fantastic helpmeet. Um, she has been drug around through 21 years of military service and now 22 years in the ministry, and she has uh, 26 addresses, right? Is that what you've kept track of? We have had 26 addresses in uh, 43 years. So, uh, ladies, if you need any advice about how to pack a box or move, <laughs> there, there's, your, there's your helps ministry right there. Um, now, we were both born on farms in North Dakota, uh, little, just little farm kids that... Uh, God grabbed up. 1977, I joined the United States Marine Corps in 1978. I married her, stole her off the farm, moved her to California, dumped her in Oceanside, California, into a little old apartment. I, we got married on a Thursday. I left on Monday and was gone for two weeks, and she had never been in the big city. Uh, so <laughs> she was she was really scared. And, uh, but uh, you know, military career went on uh, in 19... Uh, 19- 88, we were stationed in Kansas City, Missouri. I was at the Marine Corps Finance Center. Um, I started out as an artillery guy and then wound up as a computer guy and uh, working at the finance center there. But it was there at Forest Avenue Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, that the Lord Jesus Christ saved her and I. And uh, I'm so grateful for a a preacher who moved in two blocks away and uh, put up with a wretched, reprobate individual like me. And uh, the Lord God used him to say to say, lead us to him. And uh, from there, we went to Okinawa, Japan. We were in the Maranatha Baptist Church over there. And God called me to preach there. And uh, we finished out a, my military career, 21 years. And in 1998, the uh, Lord called us to our first pastorate in Leicester, West Virginia. And uh, we didn't even really have our boxes unpacked. And uh, unbeknownst to us, that church was ready to fly apart, and uh, it did. Uh, we just we we were caught in a crossfire, had no idea what was going on. But and when all the dust settled, out of sixty some members, there was twenty left. And uh, the folks were looking at. We went back on that. So it was happening on Sunday morning, on Sunday night. We went back, and the sheep were looking at me like I was somebody special, and they said, "Well, what do we do now?" And God just used that point in time, and we were there five years, and that church went from 20 to 40 in five years. Now we're talking a little old town of 300 people. And, uh, and so God, you, you kind of put a restoration ministry in our hearts a little bit, a pioneering spirit. Uh, when we went out left West Virginia, we went to Colby, Kansas. Now if you don't know where that's at, don't feel bad. 5,300 people right along Interstate 70 headed to Colorado. Most people know it because Starbucks is there and there's nothing else between <laughs> Hayes and, and Denver. So that's where they stop and get their coffee fix. And uh, But we, the Lord led us to plant a church there when, before we even started the work. I prayed, God, give me a man I can train to take that work. And that young man is now the pastor of that church. And uh, he's uh, he, he's been there for two about two years now, maybe a little more now. Anyway, we, whatever. However long it's been, I lose track of time easily like all of you do, but um, anyway, when we left Colby, uh, Kansas, the Lord was leading in this direction of this ministry that we're in of helping churches stay open. It just really had a burden for that ministry. Uh, it just really bothered me when the, that a sheep would, would be without a shepherd, and uh, we found out that the Central Baptist Church in Hayden, Colorado, the pastor had resigned, and our ministry in Colby, we'd had a, uh, some uh, help in getting that work started, uh, provided some building materials, supported the past, the missionary pastor there getting that work started. Uh, so we had a little bit of a, of a burden for that work already, and, and God just let us go there in uh, January 2019. And uh, like I, I, I say to people, who in their right mind goes to a city that's 6,300 feet above sea level on the western side of the Rocky Mountains in January? You know, and <laughs> my, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't in my right mind. I mean, we had a they had a four foot chain link fence around the yard with a rail around the top, and you could see the top rail. That was all you could see. And uh, I had to get a snowblower out of the shed and clean the yard so my dog could use the yard because there was no. And we're talking a Labrador Retriever. We're not talking about little fluffy. We're t- you know. So, uh, but anyway. It's a, we honestly have pictures, June twenty-first tw- uh, of three inches of snow. Now, what's June twenty-first? First day of summer. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Hayden, Colorado. But Lord blessed, we were able to find a pastor for that work, and uh, now, unfortunately, he has resigned, and they're again looking for a pastor. So, uh, do be, if you think of it, pray for the Central Baptist Church of Hayden, Colorado. Uh, then. Uh, Knowing that we needed to work out of a local church ministry, knowing and fully understanding that uh, it's not a ministry unless it's done through the local church, Uh, God really led us to go to Wilson Creek Baptist Church in uh, Brookline, Missouri, Pastor Randall Moody, and we joined that church, and that's our sending church. That's who we work under the authority of. Uh, We are part of the New Testament church planting as far as our mission support. Our ministry is actually called Keep the Doors Open. It's somewhat of a subset of the New Testament church planting. So Wilson Creek has a ministry of a ch- local church. They have the preach ministry for training missionaries. They have the New Testament church planting ministry for building buildings, first-time buildings for church plants. And then they have us that is coming is helping to sustain those church plants or those churches that may have lost their pastor for whatever reason. Uh, that may be. And that really the the burden I have is for those churches that perhaps for the wrong reasons the pastor left. You know, uh, when pastors die, that's a pretty good reason for him to leave. <laughs> you, you don't want him hanging around after that, right? <laughs> so just, uh, you know, that's a, that's, I feel, you know, I have a great compassion for church that that happens. And that's, we have known of a few of those that that's happened. But really the most I think probably one of the most wicked things that can happen is a pastor just walks off and leaves a church. Uh, I think that's just, I don't think that you're going to ever find anything in the Scripture uh, that God led a man to leave a flock to go somewhere else without a replacement. That just doesn't line up with Scripture, and uh, can't tell me it's God's will because I can't find it in the Word of God in any way, shape, or form. And I know men do it, and they have their reasoning and whatever that may be, but it doesn't always line up with the things of God. It is the spirit of the hireling, Jesus cautioned about in John chapter 10. So, But any church without a pastor, folks, is not a complete church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, is very clear that a pastor is the gift to the local church. Pastors, evangelists, teachers, they're a gift to the local church. And if you'll notice in that passage, that a church will not come to maturity without the leadership of a pastor. That's the way God designed it, and so that's that's really a, a great burden for us. Uh, when we go to a church, we we'll agree we agree with that church that we will stay with them until they have a pastor. It's not we're not just doing pulpit supply. We're actually, going to do an interim pastorate and carry them through until that time we can find a man to take the church. Uh, we are currently at Calvary Baptist Church in Chamberlain, South Dakota. Uh, we've been there a, a year this month uh, and still have not been able to find somebody that wants to come to Chamberlain. Um, I, I don't understand, you know, why um, it's a fine place, a good congregation of people, loving folks, um, just, you know, just waiting, you know, God's got his man, we just need to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Um, the church, when we got there a year ago, was we had, I had about 12 people in the first service. We were there. We're pretty regularly running 25 or 30 right now. And uh, the last month or so, we had a revival meeting with Brother Steve Perkins in early August. And uh, yeah, week long. And, uh, and, but he, uh, he raked us over the clothes, coals, kicked us to the curb, stomped on us heavily, um, hurt our feelings. But the church was revived, and uh, since then, we've, had, we've seen some uh, folks come who have who went away several years ago. I had no idea who they were, but the people in the church did. They've been making phone calls, reaching out, and trying to, and so really, there's somewhat of a regathering of the sheep ca- happening, and so God is really doing some good things in Chamberlain, and I'm really excited about what He's doing there. Uh, our scope of ministry, folks, is, is simply that we, we follow the Lord's leadership to a church that needs our services, we'll preach the word, equip the saints, we'll guide the church in their search for a pastor. Um, one of the things that I personally get involved with is vetting those pastors, those candidates. I get involved in that because, folks, truly, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, not to the sheep. You won't find that in the scripture, so I help the we'll help the, the folks and... and uh, Finding a lot of men who are out there presenting themselves for ministry that're not qualified for a number of reasons. They don't meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter three. Um, ask you know I'll call their their pastor that they say they're a member of that church and I'll call that pastor and say, Hey, preacher, you know if you were going to leave that ministry, would you recommend this man as your replacement and that, sometimes the phone gets real quiet for a moment. No <laughs> okay then uh, then that really kind of cuts that one off right there. I, I, I've, I couldn't tell you, I've had that happen several times. I even had one young man give you the name, a church that he was uh, supposed to be a member of, and I called the pastor, and he said, he ain't been here for two years. And he was telling me he was a member there. So, you know, this, you know that's why I'm helping, that's part of this process of helping these folks so that they don't get a wolf in to destroy the flock. So. Um, you know, and I'm, just, I'm not the all answer all, but I do have the Bible that is. And, uh, you know, God has given me over 20 some years in the pastoral ministry and 21 years of military leadership. He's given me a little bit insight, just like a lot of you men have been around. He gives us a little insight into human nature and uh, some of the things. So anyway, we'll, um, we'll stay with that church until that pastor is called and then we'll move on and we get to start all over again. Uh, and that's our ministry. I know. Folks often ask, what type of uh, needs might you have? Uh, of course, we need monthly financial support. It's good. That would be a great help to us. Um, we're going to be uh, on the road for the next four and a half, four weeks now on deputation, uh, so there will be expenses with, involved with that. But probably more than anything, I would like you to pray that we'd have wisdom in discerning the right pastor for the right church at the right time. And of course, we need prayer very much for that. So if you have any questions about our ministry, please don't hesitate to ask after the service. Um, we have a table set up out there where you can get our uh, prayer card. And, um, and uh, I'll be glad to be out there and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get into some scripture tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter five. You probably heard a message on this, the spirit-filled Christian. But I just want to maybe challenge you tonight, in a way, perhaps you've heard before. Maybe you need that just reminded in your mind. Um, Ephesians chapter number five. The book of Ephesians is probably one of the most practical books in all of the Bible. There's a great deal of theology in those first three chapters, but those last three chapters, just practical, 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 practical things that we can apply to our lives to help us and strengthen us. And Ephesians 5, I want to begin reading in verse number 14. If you're able to stand, will you stand for the reading of Scripture, please? Ephesians 5, verse number 14, the Bible says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and here's where we want to be tonight, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God, and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, thank you so much for these words tonight, and as we look at this subject of being Spirit-filled, Lord, it is a command for every single Christian, and I pray, God, that this body, this people, this church tonight would examine this subject from your Word and be a Spirit-filled church. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Chapter 5 of Ephesians addresses the Christians' walk with Christ, and we're warned throughout the, the book of Ephesians about earthly temptations toward evil and that we must be separated and uh, from the doers of evil. We must reprove evil. We're called to be spiritually awake, as uh, the Apostle Paul said here, and uh, we're to serve the Lord with a controlled mind, then that we might optimize our time, a little bit of time we have on earth. For our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, we are, our, our lives are really very, very short, and we have no time to waste at all in this life. You know, I wonder, can we be so spirit-filled that people can't stand to be around us? Is anybody that way? I mean, when you walk into your workplace, people go, oh, man, here comes Mr. Spirit, here comes Ms. Spirit. I don't want that. I don't know anybody that's exactly that spirit filled. It would Be great to be so, I suppose. Uh, but you know, when the spirit of God moves in, and the spirit of God's power is in a place, um, it may be, or it will be, very much recognized. And we could take a moment. We won't do that tonight, but you write it down if you want to. First Kings chapter eight, uh, verses one through eleven. There, where Solomon prayed uh, in the in the temple. And the Spirit of God came in once, when they moved the Ark of the Covenant in the, into the temple. Uh, the Spirit of God came in so strong that priests had to, had to leave. They couldn't even be in there because the power was so great with God. And in Acts chapter uh, 4 and verses uh, 7 through 14, when Peter and the other apostles were called before the Pharisees and uh, harassed and harangued because they were preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter very boldly said, should we obey God or men? I mean, you know, he's standing in front of those that used to be his religious leaders. And now he's standing there rebuking them in the spirit. The power of God was upon him. It's a clear demonstration of the power that can be manifested by spirit-filled Christians. When you look at the, these apostles, Peter and Paul and, and all of them, truly When when the spirit and power of God was much upon them. Ephesians 5 18 admonishes us be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit, to be so full of God that everyone around us knows that we are his servants. That's what Paul is leading to here. You know, is there any doubt in your mind that when someone is filled up with liquor, they're filled up with liquor? There's no question. There's a way they act. There's something that's demonstrated out of them that shows clearly they're under the influence of something. And that's really what people should see from you and I, that there is an influence in us that is different, something that can be seen. Paul points out leading up to this command that we should be followers of Christ, we should forsake sinful ways that can so easily entrap us. And that has to be done before being spirit-filled. What are some of the things that do hinder us from being spirit-filled? Do worldly cares perhaps sometimes hinder us? And I'm not talking about, you know, we have to make a living. God cursed us to work. I mean, you know, work is a four-letter word. Uh, you know, we, are, we do have to work. We do have to make an income. We have to live on this earth. Uh, you know, so we're not really talking about that. You know, God's blessed uh, some of us with uh, nice things, nice properties nice vehicles nice thing you know nice and uh you know and we all have to take care of our, our health and all those things that's not what we're talking about we're talking about when worldly cares become a greater desire for us than the things of god when the things in this world become more important than the things of god when when it would bother you more to stop something that you're doing in the world and when it would bother you more to do that than it would to serve god then something's not right. Something's not right. So worldly cares can be a hindrance. You know, we need to be careful that something covetous doesn't slip into us. Um, the spirit-filled Christian, you know, we're not some super rendition of, of, the, of, a, of a Christian. You know, nobody, you know you're not going to open your shirt and see a big C on your chest. You know, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're just simply talking about a spirit-filled person. You know, and spirit-filled should be normal. Spirit-filled should be normal for us. It shouldn't be something that we have to keep hunting for and looking for. It it should be, you know, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us should be as normal as breathing air. It should be a normal thing that that happens every single day. There is nothing wrong, ladies and gentlemen, nothing wrong whatsoever about asking God in the morning in your prayer time, your devotion time, which you do have, right? You should be asking God, fill me with your spirit today. Because the spirit-filled you you had yesterday, most likely by the end of the day, was fairly well depleted. You know, you need a new drink of water this morning, or you needed a new drink of water this morning just to sustain life. And, of course, the spirit is often referred to as water. He's the spiritual water of life, and we need him. Every day. You know, being spirit-filled is not something that's reserved for the pastor or the evangelist or the Sunday school teacher. It's for every single Christian. We should be spirit-filled. There are three reasons that every Christian should be spirit-filled. First and foremost, we should be obedient. It's an obedience. When you look at this uh, this, uh, verse here, verse number 18, it's written in the imperative, Be filled. Be filled. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. So we need to be filled. It's obedience. Um, And so do you suppose it's a sin, perhaps, not to be Spirit-filled? What does James 4.17 say? He that knoweth the good, good, but doeth it not. To him it is sin. So if we're not seeking to be spirit-filled by the Holy Spirit, what spirit's going to be coming upon us? What spirits will come at us? The Holy Spirit builds a wall of protection around our spirit, our spirit. The Holy Spirit leads and guides our soul. But if His power is depleted, if His power is waned, if His power is not there, what are we susceptible to? The forces of darkness, the spirits of evil. We have no fortress. We have no barriers. We have nothing to hinder evil from coming at us. And so if we're not spirit-filled, we will be filled with something. Every hole has to have something in it. It really does. If you dig a hole, sooner or later, the dirt's falling back in, right? Unless you put something else in there. So if you're, if, you know, if, you, if you've worn out or waned out over the, the course of the day, ask God to fill you. If we are spirit-filled doing what we should do, we won't have to worry about doing those things we're not supposed to do, right. Amen. Right. You know, been around ministry a little while, and some of you, my Brother First, I know you've been around ministry for a while. You realize that trouble in a church is never going to be started by a, drunk, a drunkard. It's never going to happen. I mean, they may raise a ruckus stumbling in on the back, you know, in one service. But real genuine spiritual trouble in a church is going to be started by some Christian who is not spirit-filled and has gone carnal. That's where you. That's where people begin to fail away. the The, the devil prefers to manipulate an out of Christian, out of fellowship Christian, much more than he would would. Uh, just enjoy sitting around a beer joint and playing with the drunks. He would much rather destroy you. He already has the drunkard. He already owns him. He already has the person who's living in blatant, immoral sin. He already has that one. What he wants is you. Why? Because you're a threat to his kingdom. You are a threat to him. You are a threat to Him because you have the potential, you have the power within you, you have the message of the gospel to take another person from that sin trap, from that demonic thing, that whatever they're doing, and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if He can keep you from being effective, if He can keep you hindered, then He can keep two or more. So it's important that we are filled with the Spirit, that we can resist the powers of the devil. Get a hold of Ephesians chapter 6 and put that in your life every single day. That armor of God. Have that armor of God in you. It's important for us to understand that the spirit-filled life is not an option. It's not merely a blessing to enjoy. It is a command to obey. So it is an act of obedience. The spirit-filled life is also an obligation it's also an obligation. We have a lot of responsibilities to fulfill. Really, we do. Um, we have a worship life. Paul points that out here, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You can't worship without the Spirit. It doesn't work. It can't happen. Um, we have a, a wedded life. If, when you read on the rest of the chapter, you find the comparison of Christ and His church to a marriage. My marriage, without the Spirit, is an abject failure. We, believe it or not, after forty-three years, we can kind of figure out when one or the other of us isn't where we ought to be. You know, if I don't know if you've been married that long, there's sometimes you can just look at each other and you're having a conversation and there's no words being spoken. And sometimes those conversations kind of look like this. Sometimes they look like this. Just depends on where you're at spiritually, really, truly. Um, you know, Paul says, Paul says here, with the spirit-filled life, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And I understand that's in the context of the church. But, you know, we cannot submit ourselves one to the other if we're not in fellowship with the Lord. And you know, I know this old this uh, thing of of a male-dominated society. That's an old archaic thing. You know, I really don't understand that. And we all know that men are superior to women, but they're only superior at being a man. And, and women are superior to men, but they're only superior at being a woman. Amen. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna say this. There's only two genders. Say, <laughs> we'll just we'll just stop there and leave that around, alone. All right, you know, um, the Garden of Eden was a three act tragedy. You realize that? Adam's rib, Satan's fib, and women's lib. <laughs> yeah, I waded into that one. Um, <laughs> there, there, there is but there, truly, truly, though, there is absolute equality in the eyes of God for men and women. Because, honestly, without salvation, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, young or old. Without salvation, you're going to hell. With salvation, you're going to heaven. Amen? And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your status in life is. It doesn't matter your stature. It doesn't matter anything at all to God. Listen, people sometimes want to get, have the idea that if I do this or I give that or, you know, I'm going to work my way up, whatever. What do you give God? Who has everything and made everything. I believe in Psalm number 50, said, I own the cattle of a thousand hills. If I was hungry, I'd tell you. <laughs> what do you give God? He doesn't need anything from us, but He does desire to have fellowship with us. He does desire to see us saved. He does desire that we would submit ourselves to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe upon His sacrifice on that cross for for our salvation. He does desire that. And when we will come to Him with a humble heart, a repentant heart, and an open mind to receive and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary for us, when we will come to him humble, he will save us. And it does not matter how old or young you are or what gender you are. He will save you. And then, and then, you can begin a spirit-filled life living for Jesus. You know, I thought about it. And how I lived before I was saved—it wasn't good. I'd have fit right in, just fine, with these folks that were here last August, before I was saved. I'd have fit fine with a good majority of those people before I was saved. And people will say, you know, people sometimes will say, "Well, you know, I—I don't—I like what I do. I like." this or I like that or I'm I'm, you know I'm satisfied with my life the way it is and all of those things they'll they'll tell you that but really when you come to Christ you're not giving up anything you're gaining everything amen amen Amen. Amen. another thing we have an obligation for is a work life if every Christian worker held himself to the standard set, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, servants be obedient to them that are your masters and so on, um, employers would seek Christians on purpose to work for them. We need, to be, uh, we need to be filled with the Spirit because in our workplaces, people need to see Spirit-filled people. They need to see that you're real, that you're genuine. It seems to me if more Christians lived on Monday, what was preached on Sunday, the next Sunday they might find employers and co-workers sitting in church with them. Now you can say amen, oh me, or ouch, but you're going to have a reaction to that. We need to be spirit-filled because there is a spiritual war to fight. There is a constant battle going on you know, how, how do we fight spiritual battles if we're not spiritual-filled? We need to be spiritually-filled because there are opportunities every single day. Opportunities to serve the Lord. Opportunities to serve Jesus. And if we're not spirit-filled, our days will be filled with wood, hay, and stubble. Remember the Apostle Paul talking about the judgment seat of Christ? Amen. So, there we have an obligation to be Spirit-filled. But what, what are the requirements for a Spirit-filled life? What, what is it, you know, realizing the Holy Spirit is a person that coexists with us and He moves in after we repent and believe on Jesus Christ for our salvation, it doesn't mean He takes over our body and makes us do all kinds of wacky and crazy stuff. You know, we don't bark like dogs and, you know, speak in gibberish and all that kind of nonsense after the Holy Spirit moves in. We just have a burden and a desire to see people come to the Lord and we want to live a fruitful Christian life. What is it going to take to be a spirit-filled Christian? First of all, may I say it's going to take a total commitment? You're going to have to be totally committed. You know, when you have a when you have a house guest and you tell them to make yourself their themselves at home, do you really mean that? I mean, if you came home and you know your guest went home before you and you came home, say a few hours later, and that person's sleeping in your bed under your covers. And it was evident they'd use your shower. (laughs) Most of us are sitting there saying, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." we're going to have a problem. But a family member, a family member, if you come home and one of your kids has flopped out in your bed, or, you know, they've kind of made a mess around your house, you don't have anything to say about that, do you? I wonder how many of us treat the Holy Ghost like he's a guest. Yeah, yeah. How many of us treat the Holy Ghost like he's a guest instead of a family member? How many rooms does he not have access to? How many places can he not get into because he's a guest and not a family member? Yeah. How, many, how, many, how, how often does he have to remind you you should have a surrendered spirit a surrendered heart and a surrendered life. He wants absolute and total control of you. That's right, that's right. Yeah. He wants to control us. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. He wants to control you and I. A man that is spirit-filled will be in control because the spirit is in control of him. Um, you know how a man gets drunk by drinking and he stays drunk because he keeps drinking. And he keeps on drinking and drinking and drinking. And over time, he's completely given over and controlled by liquor. And everything in his life was central until it consumes and kills him. And taking that principle and applying it to the Holy Ghost, if he's absolutely in control, we'll work ourselves to death for Jesus. We'll, we'll work for the Lord till we can't work no more. It's 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 a a phenomena. It's just an incredible phenomena. The Holy Spirit, he needs to be totally in control. He needs to have total acceptance. He's kind of like a big old lake of water, and you and I are a little small pond. He just keeps pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, filling us and filling us, filling us and filling us. What does a spirit-filled life look like? Paul uh, Paul tells us here. You're going to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, having a thankful spirit, a thankful heart for all that God has done, submitting yourselves, one another, You're going to have a fear of God. When we are spirit-filled, we will be extremely conscious of the presence of God. It will compel us to worship, and it will compel us to sing. It will compel us to do many things. You know, I'm, I like to sing. I enjoy it. I wouldn't say that I'm really good at it, but I enjoy it. You know, I I like making a happy merry melody in my heart and occasionally one out of my mouth. Um, You know, give me a, you know, I I really, but it really does um, disturb me sometimes. And I've said in some services where people have these just marvelous voices, but you can tell that there's a production and a desire to be noticed. There's no humility in that, you know. Um, you know, give me, a, give me a prison singer any day. You know what a prison singer is? It's a fellow person who's behind a few bars and can't find the right key. You know, get, give, me, give me a prison singer any day, all right, over, over a professional performer, all right? So just, just make melody in your heart. Make melody in your heart. Have a, it's, a, it's real worship. You know, real, I don't know if you've ever studied worship. You ought to study worship in a scripture sometime. Worship is not this <laughs> flopping your arms and all this kind of, real worship may have been preceded by singing. Real worship will often be preceded by the reading of the word of God, but real worship occurs when God's people fall prostrate on their faces at the feet of a holy God. That's real worship. And uh, uh, real worship leads to a life of thanksgiving, a spirit-filled, thankful life. First Thessalonians 5, says, 18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, we thank God for the sun, but do we thank Him for the rain? We thank Him for joy, do we thank Him for pain? We thank Him for blessings, do we thank Him for crosses? We should thank Him for everything gains or losses. That's the attitude of a Spirit-filled Christian. We should not be satisfied with anything less than a Spirit-filled life. Open your house to the Holy Spirit. Give Him access to every room, every closet, every secret chamber. Submit yourself unto Him and you cannot and will not go wrong. Be filled with the Spirit. It is a command of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for the great privilege we've had to study in your word tonight. And Father, I would uh, desire that you might just speak to my heart and help me, Lord, to be a spirit-filled Christian. And Lord, as these folks uh, have heard tonight, it is a command of yours, and I pray, God, they'd be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen.